This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Lindsay O'Lynn is the co-founder and social media director for Latter-day Peace Studies, which means she spends her time reading, mining for quotes, making memes, and sharing thoughts each day. She lives in Roy, Utah with her husband of 16 years, her two sons, and her bulldog. Together, they run a home theater and an audio-visual company. She loves to learn, hike, bike, play the violin, and homeschool her kids. So welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I'm your host, Tara McCausland, and I'm so grateful to have Lindsay here with me today. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So this will be a part of our Anchors of Faith series. And Lindsay and I, we were talking for a few minutes beforehand about really how timely and important this topic is. And it's sort of a follow-up to one of my solo episodes, which I did um, some months ago titled Politics, Polarization, and Building a Zion People. And just as a side note, I found Lindsay through, uh, well, Facebook once again. (laughs) I find some of my best people on Facebook. Um, But she wrote a really excellent article titled From Politics to Peace, which I will post in the show notes. It was really a great article. And we'll touch on that today. But I highly recommend that you read that article in its entirety. So much of what you shared in that, Lindsay, resonated with me and my own experience. And I appreciate you being a voice for peace and unity in a time where there's just a toxic level of contention and division in society, and even sometimes within the church on some issues. And yet, as we know, the Lord has said emphatically, if ye are not one, ye are not mine. So Anyway, I just felt compelled to expound on this idea more with you because of your personal experience. But I will also say, as Lindsay and I discussed before, it's easy to feel like a hypocrite when talking about this subject (laughs) (laughs) because none of us are going to be perfect at this. This is hard, hard business. And so I, I hope that as people listen to this, that they will take a step back, recognize the good things that they're doing in this area and where they can improve ask, Lord, is it I, but also recognize the atonement of Jesus Christ is there for a reason so that we can develop the charity that we all need to to do better at this. Anyway, so before we dive more into your article, Lindsay, can you tell us a bit about your background and what led you to Latter-day Peace Studies? So surprisingly enough, it was actually through my political groups that I ended up where I am with Latter-day Peace Studies. Um, getting to share these awesome messages of peace and to study and learn about it with an awesome group of people. But around 2008, around the time of uh, Barack Obama and McCain, uh, that election, I began to become very engaged in politics, mainly just by listening to radio shows, watching news and opinion shows on TV. I had watched it so much that the logos of those shows were burned into my plasma screen. And I was reading a lot about the United States, its history and its government. I I studied a lot and I was trying to learn as much as I could in a short amount of time. 
Um, but sometime around 2014, I started to engage more outside of my home and I jo joined groups, got involved in a political party, joined communities of like-minded people. A lot of those were women's groups and that was kind of a fun opportunity to get to do that. Um, I soon helped out with campaigns and causes and was elected to positions within those groups. I got involved in pretty much anything I could that I thought would make the country and my community better for my kids. I joined social media groups and forums to discuss ideas and share information. And within the last couple of years, I started to notice in these groups, some people were starting to talk more about the ideas of peace and nonviolence and its history. And soon the discussion started to center around the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and following the path of Jesus Christ. And although I had learned about these things, I had never really looked at them in the same way. And the message really spoke deeply to me. I, I hadn't really realized that my political career, as you might call it, um, was really in search of peace and really in search of freedom. And um, I was soon starting to find those things within these ideas of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and the path of Jesus Christ instead. And I, I met Shiloh Logan, who's the founder of Latter-day Peace Studies, and we became friends. And he asked me to help co-found Latter-day Peace Studies with him as a way to create good, shareable, peace-oriented messages that seek to unify rather than divide. So by this point, and we'll discuss this in a little bit, I had become so tired of looking to try to make government be what I needed it to be for me. Uh, this message was a it was really a balm to my soul. It was something that I needed and I didn't really know that I did. Um, I felt that I had finally found a cause that was truly worthy of my time and energy to get behind. And it has really been an amazing blessing in my life so far. What's interesting is that most of the people that are involved in Latter-day Peace Studies went down similar roads with politics that landed us where we are now. It's been a cool thing to see that common theme pattern among so many so many um, of them have were, were really, really involved in politics and kind of began to see that it wasn't quite what they were after. So that's that's kind of where where I became involved in it. Mm -hmm. You had begun or started down this path with the intent to make the country and your community a better place for your children. And like your intentions were, were very good. And I think that's where most of us start, right? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Is our, we're going to change the world. <laughs> right. And our intentions are good. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe for you and for others who have kind of gone down this path now of, of peace versus <laughs> just this obsession with politics, that there's a recognition of an imbalance, mm -hmm. um, but also that politics becomes the lens, which you see the world through versus the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Absolutely. and it's exhausting. <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> and I speak, I speak from my own personal experience. Um, but wanting just to reiterate that I think that it's not a bad thing to be involved in politics. We've been asked as members of the church of Jesus Christ to be, to be engaged in good things in, in civic responsibilities, but there has to be a balance and being aware of where our allegiance lies and which banner we're, we're carrying 
the highest. So you described a little bit of the experience that you had with that, Lindsay, but can you, can you describe that in more depth and share more about what you wrote about in your article? Yeah. Um, so the article is kind of long, like you said, I am definitely not going <laughs> to just read the whole thing here, but I'll do my best to give a shorter synopsis of it. Um, I wrote that article as a response to the things that took place at the Capitol this year on January 6th. Uh, throughout that day, I saw just ton a wide range of emotion all over social media. It, it, people were bleeding. It, it was a painful thing to see. And I, I'm sure you saw that as well. Um, people were angry, disappointed, upset, heart, heartbroken, fearful, all sorts of different emotions were going on there. And, and I was kind of sitting there and I was like, really surprised that I wasn't kind of losing my mind because if, if it had happened maybe five years earlier, I would have completely lost my mind. It would have destroyed me that day. Um, and, and I realized um, how much Jesus Christ had helped me to heal some of these things within myself and helped me to sort of shift my focus back to him when I had given so much of it away to outside sources and, and the government and, um, and politics in general. And it, it, it just really opened my eyes that I, I had changed quite a bit. And so basically the story that I tell in the article is that I used to listen to talk radio every day for hours, like I said earlier, and I watched the news so closely. I knew everything that was going on. There was always something new to worry about and a new fight to fight. Sometimes my side would win the battles and sometimes we didn't. And I would just kind of work harder and get more and more involved in causes and projects. And then at the same time, I would get angrier and angrier. And we were always just one step away from either making a big difference or from the country being totally destroyed, right? It was one or the other and the work was endless and it never seemed to really change much of anything, no matter how consumed I was in it. And, but what I did what did actually start to change in me was that it was causing my heart to harden. And I, I didn't see that at first. I really, I really, like you said earlier, I, my intentions were good. I, <laughs> I really wanted to try to help. And, um, but those things kind of sneak up on you sometimes. And I started to see more and more people as my enemies and more and more groups as evil. And I became really disgusted by the things I saw and I was judgmental, but nobody, and, and nobody could really live up to my ideals and not even I could, I began to rationalize that the contentious things I was doing that, that I was doing them because they were just and righteous cause. And I started to allow the United States of America, the constitution and politics to become an idol and a religion of sorts. And I'm not saying, like you said, that everyone that follows politics closely has made an idol of it, but it was made clear to me that I had. I, I distinctly remember one day, and I share this in the article, but I remember one day having the thought that I, this really was like my religion because I was willing to work for it, share it, talk about it with anyone, try to promote my ideas. I was willing to do all of those things for politics, but I wasn't doing that for my religion and my, and my beliefs in Jesus Christ. And that thought 
you would have th you would think that that thought bothered me, but at the moment it really didn't. I I irrationalized it by saying, well, so many people are fighting for Christ. So many people talk about that topic, but there's not that many people that are willing to really get engaged in politics. And if I don't do this, this is my mission. If I don't do this, nobody will. And so I, I really rationalized it that way. I, I did this for years. And as I got more and more involved, I get, got more and more overwhelmed too. And after, this was just a few years ago, but I had been feeling kind of this sinking feeling for a few months and I didn't really know what it was. And, and, you know, you have those little thoughts that pop into your mind and you kind of squash them and you put them away and don't listen to them. And, but then an incident happened where a friend of mine had been accused of inappropriate actions while serving as an elected official. And this, it tore a hole in my chest and it kind of brought me back to reality and helped me be to become willing to look at the things I had been trying to overlook within myself. And I began to see the pain that I was in and how hardened my heart had become. And all of these realizations helped me to make the choice to start to pull back from these groups and identities that I had been part of. And I want to make it clear, like, these aren't bad groups that I was part of They, you know, they were doing good things. Um, but for me, it was, it was killing me. And these things that I were, that I was involved in, um, I sort of took it on as my identity. It was who I was. It was my cause. It, it, it was me. And I felt like I was leaving a religion when I left and that most of my identity was dying along with it. And that really was excruciatingly painful. I don't know anybody that's had one of those like ego deaths mm -hmm. and knows that how hard that is. And I, during that time, I had to get blessings frequently while I suffered with constant anxiety and frequent panic attacks. It was really like I was detoxing from some type of substance, some, some addiction. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that it really, it was a detox. And suddenly I no longer knew who I was or what I believed, but it was during that time of feeling lost that Jesus Christ revealed himself to me. He met me where I was and he helped me to let go of those stories and the false identities and beliefs that had mattered more to me than he did. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. They, they mattered more to me than him. Um, and it truly felt like I had been blind and he had given me sight. And one of the coolest things about that was that I didn't feel any sort of anger from him. Like there was no jealousy from him that I, that I loved these things more than him. He just met me where I was and he started to help to heal me. I started to get to know him better by becoming more familiar, familiar with his actual words. I studied the Sermon on the Mount in depth and I learned what repentance really was. And I had experiences where God continued to show his love to me, especially when I didn't deserve it. And I began to see what Christ meant when he promised that peace that could pass all understanding. Um, a peace that could remain no matter what was going on in the country, no matter what the news says, whether my political candidate was in office, or even if the United States were to completely crumble and, and cease to exist, I, I realized that I would still have him and the peace and the freedom that only he could provide. And I realized that it wasn't my job to be the savior of this country. 
Mm-hmm. And through this process, I, I haven't found this perfect inner peace. I'm not some Zen master and <laughs> I, I have emotions and I, you know, I get angry and I get frustrated. And when I pay attention to the news too much or see too much on social media, I get frazzled. It, you know, it's still there, but I never really believed or knew that I could feel as anchored as I do, even when my life and the world gets crazy, which it has been for quite some time. Um, Mm. I can only imagine how last year, how I would have handled last year if I had not undergone this change of heart beforehand. Yeah. I still get angry. I'm not perfect. Like, like you said, this is a topic where it's, it's kind of difficult to talk about sometimes because you feel like if you're not perfect, you can't speak about it. But I, I am infinitely grateful to my savior for changing me through this process and shifting my focus to, to him rather than in the arm of flesh. Hmm. So powerful, Lindsay, we can get so engrossed in things of the world and not recognize that they are becoming our idol and anything can become our idol. Mm-hmm. Anything Absolutely. can replace Christ and, and it can be a very good thing. We need to find balance in our lives. And I don't know if you listen to Jared Halverson ever, but he he's always talking about finding the Goldilocks zone where oftentimes we find ourselves in the extremes. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, we can become ultra apathetic or an ultra fanatic. <laughs> yes. And he's like, we, we have to find the, the middle in order to thrive in this world, but in, in the gospel, in our relationships, in any aspect of our lives, we have to stay away from the extremes. And so asking ourselves on a frequent basis, have I replaced Christ with another idol of my choosing politics, exercise, some social issue, you know, nutrition, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it can be anything. Um, but I love how you said that that it was only Christ that could provide the peace that you were seeking after. The idea of peace was not really even on my mind. Like I didn't know that that's what I was actually like searching for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, my, my cause really had been freedom. You know, I really wanted freedom and liberty. And when I actually found peace, I, I realized that's really where, where my heart had been. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that you said with all the chaos, especially in this past year that you have been able to, to watch and for the most part remain relatively stable. Yeah. You haven't lost your mind. Um, and so it, that scripture came to mind of being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Mm-hmm. That if we are not centered in Christ, if we're imbalanced, we will be tossed. And so, again, I think you're spot on that, that the Savior is the one who will provide really ultimately what it is that we're seeking for in all these other aspects of our lives. And not to say that we need to uh, not be involved in the things that we enjoy, but always keeping our eye focused on him and he will keep us centered and balanced. Yes. So... Last October conference, I don't know about you, and maybe it's just because it's it had been on my mind, but I really felt like the subject of unity was just this this theme that was woven through 
the conference. Yeah. Building Zion. That was something as, as we were working with at Latter-day Pace Studies, we, we were just like, whoa, do you see what they're talking about? <laughs> you know, we were mm-hmm. kind of, we were freaking out. We were excited about it. <laughs> yeah. It's just to name a few, Elder Cook and Sister Eubank, President Oaks, and many others spoke about the need for unity and the mandate to build Zion in preparation for the Savior's coming. So as Latter-day Saints, I feel like we have a unique opportunity and responsibility to really lead out in this call for unity. I think some people confuse unity with sameness, though, and I believe God does value diversity, which Elder Cook does touch on in his talk. As the church grows, I see this becoming more important and more challenging as we receive members whose experiences and cultures and backgrounds are varied. So how do you see us as a membership becoming more united, but also developing a greater capacity for inclusion and compassion for others' differences? I think that both of those things are basically have the same solution. (laughs) So don't get me wrong. Like I don't have everything all figured out and I definitely am not an expert at doing it. Mentally, I think I'm beginning to see and understand it, but my heart is kind of still transforming and continuing to make those mistakes and not live up to all my beliefs, but all works in progress. (laughs) Yes, we all we're trying. Um, but First of all, where where you touched on that issue of unity and uniformity, uh, there's a quote that I, that I really love by Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan friar. um, And I, I just love all his, his stuff. He says, there's a difference between unity and uniformity, and they're almost always confused with people in the early stages of life. They think unity is uniformity. Actually, spiritual unity is diversity maintained and protected by love. I love you to do it differently than me. The thing that I love about that is like you said, um, at least I think you did, (laughs) God (laughs) loves diversity. Um, And I think that if we can continue to recognize that, you can see that you can see that he loves diversity, just evidenced in his creation alone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he created so much diversity on this earth from the climates to the flowers, to the animals, the weather, the planets, all of it. None of it's the same, right? Um, he created diversity among humans as well. Our diversity was not an accident. And we're here to share our individual gifts, experiences, strengths, and weaknesses with each other to make one whole. We are the body of Christ. And, you know, if you think of that literally as a body, uh, if every organ in the body did the same thing, could we survive? No. Um, This concept not only applies to members within the church, but also diversity among different religions. We all have our unique gifts and things we do well. And when we put those things together, great things can come to pass. Uh, the, The Apostle Paul made the principle clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. And basically he says that there is a variety of gifts there, um, but it is always from the same spirit. There is all sorts of service to be done, but always to the same Lord, working in all sorts of different ways and different people. It is the same God working in all of them. And so, you know, I, I think first of all, just remembering the fact that God does 
love and he has created diversity on purpose. There's a reason for us to do things differently. And I might not have the same strengths that you have. Um, for instance, I would never dare to do a podcast like this. <laughs> this is terrifying, but, but I like to write. Um, I like to make memes and we, we do different things where we're trying to share messages of the gospel. And, and if we can remember that those differences are good and, and keep that in mind and, and that can be really helpful. The other solutions that I was thinking about is that first of all, we need to really internalize and believe in our own identity with God. I think a lot of times when we think about creating unity, we start to look outward, but I think that the best thing that we can do, and in my experience, the best thing that I've done is I started to look inward and, um, and upward, I guess, towards, mm -hmm. towards God. And so the fact that we teach our children, I am a child of God so young is definitely not an accident. Um, it's essential that we each know who we are in relationship to our creator. We are not just his creations. We are his children. I'm his daughter. You're his daughter. That politician that I can't stand to even look at <laughs> is his son. And I need to remember that we all have that identity in God and we need to internalize it as a young woman's leader for the past few years. It has become so obvious to me why it's necessary that these young women truly believe that identity and know of their divine nature. We need to know that we are always loved and we are always held safe in the arms of our heavenly parents and Jesus Christ. Uh, this it's this feeling of complete safety that allows us to let go and actually trust and be vulnerable and be ourselves. And it's this that gives us our faith. Um, it allows us to have faith and to trust. Um, it's also this that other things are founded upon. We must know of our worth and our value in, re in relation to God so that we can progress in the way that we need to. Mm -hmm. um, there's a quote that I absolutely love from um, James Finley. He, he's a former monk that studied under one of the great Christian contemplative mystics, um, Thomas Merton. But he says, if we are absolutely grounded in the absolute love of God that protects us from nothing, even as it sustains us in all things, then we can face all things with courage and tenderness and touch the hurting places in others and ourselves with love. I, I believe that to be true. When we feel loved and we feel our worth and we know um, that we are safe in our God, it frees us to love other people. Mm -hmm. It frees us to be ourselves and it frees us to have courage and faith to do the things that we feel prompted to do. So the first thing definitely is establishing that relationship with God and ourselves more clearly. Um, the next thing that I would, I think would be essential is that we need to be real with ourselves about who we are, about our uniqueness, our shortcomings, our gifts, and our temptations. We need to see ourselves in reality. This isn't meant to be something to sit and beat ourselves up about, but instead to help us to face reality so that we even have a chance of transforming into something that more closely resembles the savior. And that thing, I, I call it the true self. A lot of people call it that. Um, so discovering who we truly are. 
why do I do the things I do? What is it that bothers me about that other person? Why do they trigger me so much? What about myself are they mirroring to me? Um, and once we begin to see ourselves for what we really are, um, we need to find the courage to have com compassion and mercy for ourselves and our shortcomings and our own differences, being comfortable with our differences first. And it's only when we do that for ourselves that we can begin to do that for those we struggle to love. What you said about when we think of unity, we tend to look outward, but what needs to happen is exactly what you said. We need to look inward and upward because it is only in a secure relationship with our maker and with Jesus Christ that we can have enough love for ourselves, as you said, to love others with compassion. Yes, and absolutely. I get that concept of being able to be real with ourselves and, and acknowledging our weakness, because I do really believe that's when the atonement of Jesus Christ can really start working in us. Like it talks about in ether 12, 27, and it says, if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. So if we're coming to Christ, we will see our flaws, yes. our inadequacies. But he says, I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And then my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. Then those weak things can be made strong. And then we have this ability to love. We receive the gift of charity, which we understand from Moroni is a gift from God. When you read and you study the Sermon on the Mount, what does he start with? He starts with the Beatitudes. What's the very mm -hmm. first Beatitude? It's blessed are the poor in spirit. The Beatitudes um, basically are a path of progression. They're not just, he's not just listing there. Um, here's some good things and here's some blessings for them. Uh, when you really look at it, it, it's a path of progression. And so he starts by saying, you've got to be humble first. You, you have to be able to be willing to say, I can't do this alone. I need your grace. I recognize your grace. I, I I'm weak. Um, it, it's similar to the 12 step program, um, where, you, you just have to, you have to recognize that you need him. And, um, then, then they move on to blessed are those that mourn and are meek. We start to mourn for our own weaknesses. We start to recognize we're, we're not doing things like we want to be. We're not doing things that we should be doing. And we also start to mourn with others and see that others are suffering in the, in the same way that we are. And, and that makes us meek and, you know, and then we progress along, uh, along this path and we start to thirst and hunger after righteousness. That that's not a comfortable thing either. Thirst being thirsty and hungry is, is actually, when you think about it, kind of a painful process mm. when you want something so bad. Um, that next he calls the merciful, the pure in heart and the peacemakers blessed. And finally ends with calling those who are persecuted and reviled blessed. So this, this path that we're called to be on with Jesus Christ, isn't really an easy one necessarily. Christianity is not, not comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's not comfortable and it's not fun. Um, one of my favorite quotes 
is from GK Chesterton. And he says that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And I, for me personally, that, that was true for the majority of my life. I, I really wasn't listening to the words of Christ. The things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ isn't just saying them like, hey, he's, here's some good ideas for you. I mean, he really means them. <laughs> and um, although they're very difficult and we're never going to be perfect at them, he really does want us to attempt to try them. He wants us to attempt to turn the other cheek and, you know, and, and do all of those difficult things. And along with the Beatitudes, he, he's, you know, he's got this list of progression that we go through. And we don't get to the end of that list and, okay, now we're peacemakers and now we're, we're great. And I'm being persecuted. So I've made it. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that we get to the end. And once you start to feel like you've made it, that's when you need to start all over again. And it, you, you kind of go through this process over and over um, throughout your life. And, and it continues to transform you as you're wor- working with Jesus and walking along his path. Um, but at the same time, when he asks us to do these hard things, he always gives us a blessing that goes along with it, right? Um, the Beatitudes, no matter how difficult they are, he, he promises things like receiving the kingdom of heaven. And that doesn't just mean in the afterlife. It also means experiencing his presence with us here on this earth. And who couldn't use that, right? Mm. And um, being comforted, he promises we'll be comforted. You'll inherit the earth. You will be filled, filled. How many of us are just like searching and searching and searching for whatever we think is going to make us happy. And we keep trying new things and trying to fill our souls and just not being filled. And he promises that we'll be filled. He also promises that we'll obtain mercy. And I know I need that daily and that we'll see God and that we'll be called the children of God. But I think the coolest thing about what I've learned from the Sermon on the Mount and from the Beatitudes is that when you choose to take up that cross and do these hard things, you're walking on this path with Jesus. And yes, you're walking with him. But the best thing about it is that he starts walking with you. He's there with you on this path. And isn't that like the best company that we can have? Yes. So, you know, when he asks us to take up his cross, take up our own cross and follow him, he knows it's going to be hard, but he also knows that it's what's going to bring us peace. And it's what's going to bring us the happiness that we're searching for. And he's going to be with us throughout it all. Um, one thing that I really learned through my experiences was how much God, my heavenly parents, Jesus Christ, how much they were willing to let me be at their table with them when I didn't deserve it. Like I said, I I never felt like I was unworthy of them in any way, even though I had been rejecting, you know, their, their supremacy. (laughs) Like I, I had been worshiping another God and they welcomed me with open arms. The moment I was humble enough to listen and they, they choose to walk with us. And 
because they do that for us, it helps us to begin to trust that we're safe in their arms. And we can then recognize that God will do that same thing for everybody else, no matter what their political affiliation, no matter what policy they support, um, no matter, no matter where they are, when, when they're willing to receive him and willing to, to follow him on his path, he's there in a heartbeat for them, just like he was for me. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about the whole, the whole process of the atonement and, and his love for us. Well, we, we often talk on this podcast about the fact that if we've really come to know Jesus Christ and our heavenly parents, that, that they will meet us where we are at. And I love, I love the idea of being welcome at their table as imperfect as each of us are. They don't see things in a linear fashion. Like we do, they know who we were before we came. They see what we've been through so often our experiences and our, our culture and our upbringing, it really shapes who we become and the choices that we make. And so they see, they see all of that, even our, our blood, our genes, you know, mm-hmm. how that's impacting the way we view the world and the choices that we're making. And they also see all that's ahead of us because they're not seeing us just here. And now I think they have this ability to love us where we are at because they know, they know all they are, they are omniscient. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's kind of a, maybe a simplistic way of putting it. They, basically the way that I see it is that they are, they are capable of seeing reality. Yeah. We are capable of seeing our own version of reality. When we choose to see people only where they are at right now, and and we are only getting the tip of the iceberg, we are so limited in our ability to love because often, and in every case, we are all imperfect <laughs> and Absolutely. striving, struggling souls. And so I think going back to that idea that you had mentioned, the ability to first recognize who we are as children of God, and then know that every other person that we come across, the people that we see on TV, the people that we interact with on social media, the people, you know, every person that we associate with on any level is a child of God and a work in progress, just like I am. And to give them the space to grow and to learn, to change, to repent, and to and to know that God is working in their lives as actively as he is working in mine. And so I found this really cool quote from Elder Eyring. It was a talk given back in 2008. I believe it was a conference talk and I'll post it in the show notes. But this idea of becoming unified all the while still being different and at different points in our discipleship and in our testimonies, he said, what will become more obvious to us is that the atonement brings the same changes in all of us. We become disciples who are meek, loving, easy to be entreated, and at the same time, fearless and faithful in all things. So what that said to me was, we can be unified in this effort to be focused on Christ and on what his atonement will do do for us and work in us, becoming meek and loving and easy to be entreated and, and giving that, that grace and compassion, therefore, to all those around us. Does that make sense? Yes, I, I love that. And I, I think what, it, what came to mind as you read it was for me was that 
the atonement is a process of healing. If we can look at the things that, you know, the bad behaviors or the, the bad attitudes or, you know, the, the way that people treat each other that we, we want to judge. If we can look at those things as not just as bad behaviors, but as someone who is actually hurting and whose experiences have caused pain. And, you know, when we're in pain, we, we tend to lash out. We tend to do things that we, we don't, we wouldn't normally do. And if we can have the patience to walk with people as they heal, instead of just trying to fix them and, and think of them as just broken. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, and give them that grace that we receive from our, from our heavenly father and Jesus Christ, the gospel and the church, all of it is meant to, to help us to heal. And I, I think sometimes we, we focus so much on becoming something, but sometimes a lot of it is about unbecoming and, and going back to our true nature, our true self, um, the spirit within us and, and not all of these false identities that we've taken on throughout our life. I recognize, and this is one thing that I don't want people to, to misunderstand I, I know that it can't all be peace and love and kumbaya all the time. <laughs> That's what we're striving for. But reality is, is this is a, a world uh, full of conflict. Life's hard. <laughs> and life is hard and messy and terrible things happen uh, because of people's agency. And as we draw closer to the second coming, more people will oppose the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the membership of the church. So how do you see us continuing to, or trying to heed the call to love our neighbor all the while standing for true principles? This is a tough one that, you know, I have thought a lot about, but I think for me, it always comes back to looking within myself. And I think the first thing that we can each do individually is determining which things actually are true principles and which things are negotiable traditions and fam familiar ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, we need to be willing to expand our ideas and open up to new ways of doing those things that, that actually can be changed and actually do have some wiggle room in order to include more diversity. Um, just recognizing that just because we've done things a certain way for so long, doesn't mean it has to always be that way. Being, being flexible on the things that we can be flexible on, I, I think is a really important trait that we can work on and, and I can work on. I get stuck in, in my routines and my, my bias of how it, how it should look and how it should be. And, um, learning to be, be willing to bend on the things that we can bend on, I think is an essential thing. I think that President Nelson has been such a great example of being able to look at the difference between what is doctrine uh, and, and culture and practice and getting rid yeah. of some of those things that, that are not eternal principles Yeah. so that we can be more inclusive. And he's incredibly open-minded. And we've changed so much in such a short mm -hmm. amount of time, things that, you know, 
like I would have never guessed we would only have two hours of church, (laughs) you know, like, Mm -hmm. whoa, how did, how did that happen? You know, so we kind of just get used to these things. This is how we do it. That's how it's supposed to be. That's the right way to do it. And there's no changing them. And we, I think we just need to be more flexible and be willing to change on the things like that, that we, that we can. Um, Also, I think that we can do better to not immediately become defensive and angry with people who do contradict our beliefs and our principles. Um, Even when, and I I know this is hard (laughs) and and I'm not always the best at it, but even when they are overtly attacking us. Now, hear me out. (laughs) Oftentimes we are unwilling to try to understand another perspective because we have become triggered ourselves. And we kind of go, go into this emotional state ourselves. And the triggering happens out of fear and not love. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite books um, is The Enoch Letters. Have you ever read that? No. Um, you have? No, I haven't. Oh, I've never even heard great, of it. I'll write it down. Great one. But it's by Neil A. Maxwell. And it talks quite a bit about this concept of fear versus love in it. The whole book is sort of kind of like the CS. C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. So it's written in letter Mm. format and it's letters exchanged between two friends. And one decides to follow Enoch and help him build up his city while the, while the other stays behind. Um, And as you read these letters, you hear of the beautiful things happening within the city of Enoch, the miracles, how things were working, how things were progressing and the way that they treated one another and what he says about fear I think is absolutely true there. So this is what it says. It says there's no fear in the city of Enoch men fear only when there is not sufficient love in their hearts. Perfect love casts out fear and he that fears is not made perfect in love. There is liberty in love only when men are not fearful. Can they be anxiously and fully engaged in bringing to pass much righteousness, turning outward instead of inward. He goes on to say that the divisions of, among men, but mirror the divisions within each man. Only when the war within each man has first ended, can there be real peace? So I think that this idea comes into play here. Um, When people are contradicting your beliefs, or even when they are trying to actively tear them down, if we can get to the point where we can see them through the love of God, that love is sufficient to not fear them. Um, And when we don't fear them, we can treat them with more respect. Jesus Christ asked us to love our enemies. That doesn't mean loving them only if they stop causing us problems or stop being mean to us. His grace is sufficient for all. And so should our own be. Now, this is not an easy thing to do and follow. It's absolutely not. But I think that when we love more and try to understand their perspective more and find those things that we actually can agree on, We will fear them less and create more unity. Uh, Later on in the Enoch letters, one of the characters goes on to say, I soon found that I could be patient, even if others were impatient with me. If I could but absorb unkind words without responding at once in resentment, the genuine regrets of the other person would move them to kindness. If I had responded otherwise, they would soon have been both angry at me and disappointed with themselves. I've experienced this myself. Um, I don't have any control about whether the other person will back down, how they'll respond to me, but I do have control of how I respond to them and how I respect them in, in the process. 
I don't have to give up my own principles and beliefs to treat another as Jesus Christ would, because that is my principle and my Mm -hmm. belief. And if my, if I have true faith in those principles and the God behind them, I don't have any need to fear the person that I'm talking to. In one of my articles that I wrote called check your heart, I talked about some of the ways that I personally have been trying to learn to speak up when I feel prompted to while trying not to cause further contention with people. And one of the things that I've been trying to do is to check my heart before I engage. I ask myself if my heart is at war or if it is at peace. If it's at war, I don't allow myself to comment specifically on in Facebook (laughs) interactions, but if I can honestly say that my heart is at peace, I will proceed with caution and try to follow the spirit to work through me as I do. Um, I then ask myself, am I trying to make a difference or am I trying to make a point? Is my response geared toward proving that I'm right? Um, trying to prove that I'm smarter or I'm better, or I'm, I'm more peaceful, (laughs) or is it geared toward actually trying to help that person? Um, and the last thing that I do is I ask myself if I've really tried to understand the other person's point of view, if I can't even fathom at all, why they think the way that they do, then there is likely some work that I need to do on my end in order to bridge the gap for further communication, um, with that person. I know that as I've really started to try to engage these ideas, uh, it has helped immensely and it, it has allowed me like when I, when I find that my heart really is at peace and I really am trying to learn and I'm really trying to understand and communicate in good faith with someone else, I found that, yeah, a lot of times people are just awful back to me, but it doesn't seem to affect me and cause me to get as triggered as I would have if I had engaged when my heart was at war or when I was angry with that person. I know that we're not always going to change people by our own actions, but I have seen in my life ripple effects when I have chosen to, to stand down. And when, when it's something that I can stand down on and when I can choose to peacefully respond and respond in love and in humility. Um, it, it really is surprising how often people will back off a little bit Hmm. when we, when we respond in our own fear and our own anger, it just compounds that problem. Fire doesn't put out fire very well. Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, when we, when we just keep fueling that fire, with our own anger and our own fears, it, it just, it just compounds everything. I know peace, like, isn't the, the hottest topic and it's not the most, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get a lot of attention for it. A lot of the times, um, people don't like to talk about it and, and it seems unrealistic a, a lot of the times I know or naive people yeah, or naive that like naive and ignorant and Exactly. For me to think that my, by me being nice, everyone's going to treat me nice. I I don't believe that at all. Right. But, um, Jesus Christ operated in this same way. Um, yeah, it led him to the cross and he became more and more isolated as he went there. But, um, if we truly believe that he is the way, the truth and life, I think that 
we need to give it some serious thought and consider, you know, that he did act this way and he was loving. And I mean, he, he did say the truth, right. But he, he never was tearing people down, attacking them, fighting them. Like he, he just spoke the truth and did so with peace in his heart. Mm -hmm. Well, and to summarize all the awesome things that you said, what I was hearing was uh, this fear versus love idea is so important. I do think that it is often fear that triggers our anger and finding enough love because of our connection with God to be able to move into a, a potentially a contentious situation and to be able to s- slow down enough to seek to understand and listen to other people's point of view. Um, and finally, I, I, I'm hundred percent with you on this checking our hearts um, in a previous episode. It was one of my earlier episodes uh, with Nicole episode three. She talked about in her experience, our hearts, that will be our barometer for where we are at uh, in our relationship with God and with others. That if we can, if we can approach others whose ideas and lifestyles are different from our own with a soft heart, then we can say our truth and do no harm. But if we are at war, if we have a warring heart, and I believe that term comes from a book called the anatomy of peace, I was just going to bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then, then we won't be successful. Uh, The state of our hearts is everything really. And and so if, if someone's listening to this and asking, well, how do, what does this look like? Because sometimes there will be times when we do have to take up our swords, but there will be other times when we have to bury them. And there will be times when we have to make a whip and go in and cleanse the temple. However, what are our current leaders saying? They are preaching peace and unity. And so I, I think some people will take a certain story from the book of of Mormon and go, but what about the title of Liberty? (laughs) Cleanse the city (laughs) of the rebels. It's like, I I get it. But this, this is where revelation comes in people. And we have to be close enough to Christ and to the spirit in order to feel those promptings and how to respond, but always in whatever situation we are in, we can check our heart. And if our heart is in a good place, then we can trust that the Lord is leading us. And another thing that I loved from the book, the anatomy of peace talks about a philosopher, Martin Buber, that talks about, um, I thou relationship and I it relationship. Um, and, and when basically what that is, is how we look at other people and other humans, are we looking them at them as objects to be controlled? Are we looking at them as objects that are standing in the way of what we're trying to do? Or are they thou's? Are they actual children of God? Do they have worth? Do they matter? Do they have their own journeys? Um, when we look at people as children of God, and we really are looking at them, we treat them differently than when we look at them as objects. And so for you, I know you've done a lot of studying, looking into other religions. And as you uh, create memes for the Latter-day Peace Studies, you're not only looking at uh, apostles and their words. We have so much to learn and to glean from those whose religion and background and culture is different from our own. How has that helped you appreciate ideas and religions and backgrounds that are different from your own? So 
So, um, yeah. So one thing that I really, you'll actually find when you look at Latter-day Peace studies that the majority of the things that I post um, aren't, aren't from our faith. Um, part of the reasoning behind that is because I do want people to see how much goodness that there is out there and how many, how many people out there are working for the cause of God and Jesus Christ. And it's not just us. We're not in this alone. There are so many good people and religions and, and things out there that we can learn from and we can work together with them in, in this cause for peace and, and following Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I, I like to read a lot of books from different theologians and monks and fathers and preachers and saints and from all different faith traditions. One thing that I love about reading them is that their language is so different from ours. We have some writers and, and prophets and things in our faith that are more artistic, but I found that a lot of these, the people that I'm drawn to tend to be more mystical in their talking and more, more poetry, I guess it, mm -hmm. it's just kind of like an artful way of writing. And it really, it really tends to just grab me and, and I love it. And it speaks to me in a way that in a language that I haven't really heard within our own faith as much, not to say that ours is any, you know, isn't as good as theirs. It's just something that has spoken to my heart and, and I've been appreciating Mm -hmm. uh, reading those things. And I've seen so much beauty and, you know, I have a lot of holy envy for a lot of their beautiful traditions and beliefs. And I, and I love to take those things that I learn and see how it compares to what I, what I know, what I've been taught, uh, what we believe, how we do things. Um, and I love to be able to take the spirit along with me on this path and help me to discern the things that um, that I can take into my, you know, portfolio of ideas and, and mm -hmm. incorporate into my faith. And I love that's, that's probably my favorite thing about Joseph Smith was that he did preach that all truth is part of our religion and we are welcome to it. Um, it is our job to find truth and, and, and use that on our path. But regarding just my, learning how to appreciate other backgrounds and ideas that actually that process for me started when I was really young. Um, I remember in elementary school and it's something that really like kind of breaks my heart because I remember how sad it made me, but I remember hearing someone say that they knew someone who was only allowed and, and were only encouraged to hang out with kids who are members of the church. And I remember it really bothering me and hurting me. Um, because I had quite a few friends that at the time that weren't members of the church and, and I loved them and they were good people. And it just kind of hurt my heart. And I became pretty defensive about the idea and mentally decided at that point that that was not going to be me. And that I knew that people out, outside of the church were good people. And I tried to make it a point to make friends with people who were not members of the church. In addition to those that were. I love to ask them questions about their religion and tried to learn about them and get to know them as well as sharing things about me. Um, another event uh, that happened to me probably about, it was around um, 
2008, I think, but was there was an incident in my family where I had said some things that were very judgmental and unkind about my sister who was supporting a different candidate than I was. And I made assumptions about her beliefs and her morals based on her choice to support that candidate, even though deep down I knew that those things weren't true about her, but she overheard me saying them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) saying what I said, and it completely destroyed me when I knew that she had heard me. And I was so ashamed and I couldn't believe what I had become in the name of a political candidate. uh, I did my best to make it right by her, but it was that crack and that mistake um, in my character that helped kind of start me on this slow path and this fundamental shift in my life. I, although it took me a long time to get out of politics from that point on, I really did try to make it a point to start learning about other points of view and to try to see the other person more as a human, especially when they were in front of me. Sometimes it's easier when it's just like a group of bad people to kind of turn them into the villain. But um, I I can't tell you the shame that came from that action. And it, it, it broke me enough to start to let some of that light in. And thankfully, my sister is a beautiful, gracious human being that was willing to forgive me. And we have both come to see that we agree on so much more than we disagree. But it was her willingness to forgive me. The person that was being the self-righteous and the holier-than-thou one that really helped me to change. It was, it was her mercy towards me um, that, that really, really helped with that. And the last thing that was really influential for me to, to be more open to other ideas was I had an opportunity a few years ago to get involved in a cause that was outside of the norm of what people in my political party at the time were involved in. Um, Not only were not very many people from my party involved in it, neither were very many people from my religion. So suddenly I found my, found myself in this minority in a multitude of ways. Um, I haven't, you know, I've never really been a minority. The only time I'd been a minority was maybe being the only female in a room. Um, but suddenly I was a minority in basically every way. And I was surrounded by people who did not vote like me, worship like me, and many did not look or act like me. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that op- opportunity because I learned to see what it was like to be in the minority. I got to know people that I never would have gotten the opportunity to know otherwise. And I saw their humanity. I saw how knowledgeable they were and how good hearted they were. I saw other people in pain and got to mourn with them. That shared mourning was such a blessing to me. Um, I really believe that when we, when we are willing to mourn with people, like we've covenanted to do, it changes us in ways that we don't even know. But I learned so much about myself and about the world as I worked together with this diverse set of people. Um, And I even changed my mind about a few things. But I believe that it was spending time with those that were different from me that allowed me to see the image of God in them and that I had never been able to see before. Getting close to them helped me to see that although we still saw things differently, that they were not my enemy. And indeed, they had actually become my friends. So yeah, I, I, I'm really grateful for 
my weaknesses in a lot of these things, because, um, you know, that's sometimes it's, we really do have to make mistakes and we have to be weak in order for God to teach us how to be better. As my husband has been telling me lately a lot, it's in the cracks or through the cracks that the light shines through. So (laughs) not to be so afraid of, of our humanity and, uh, being willing to be taught through our weaknesses is a, a really powerful tool that the Lord will use as yeah. we come closer to him. I know that uh, you've kind of alluded to this in this last question. You, you've struggled on occasion feeling like an outsider in the church. What has that taught you about being inclusive of others who may not fit the so-called mold that we have in the church of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Um, so let me start off by prefacing this with that. It probably will come as a surprise to most people that I know that I have ever felt like an outsider in the church. So from the outside looking in, I probably look pretty content and normal within the church. Um, I probably look like I do fit the mold, but the truth is that I have definitely struggled in my own ways. I have always had friends and gotten along with people in the church, but have struggled internally with questions and with viewing things about the gospel in the church very differently than those around me, Um, at least as far as I know, right? Mm -hmm. And I had kept most of those things to myself for a very long time, honestly, since I can remember. And I would talk to a select few people here and there about thoughts that I had or questions that were bothering me. But for the most part, I had found that most people didn't really like the things I brought up (laughs) or the questions that I asked. Um, Sometimes they maybe felt like I was trying to be antagonistic, but that wasn't really my intention. Um, And I really have this thing where I don't like making people uncomfortable. (laughs) So I, uh, a few times when I Yeah, when I brought up questions, people would get very defensive and would assume that I was attacking the church. But those reactions sort of caused me to turn back inward and stop talking about them because I I didn't like being seen as someone, you know, trying to attack the church when that wasn't my intent. Um, But over the past few years, after some wonderful experiences with my heavenly parents where... um, they let me know that my questions were not burdens and they were not unacceptable and that they weren't off limits. And they made it clear to me that they were happy with my search for truth and that they wanted to help me on that journey. So I I found so much um, as I have started to explore and learn and not feel ashamed of what I was feeling. They have been there with me as I've navigated my way through very difficult things So through this process, it has kind of taught me that a lot about being inclusive of others who don't seem to fit the mold, but oftentimes I'm so wrapped up in my own stuff that it can be difficult for me to feel enough strength to reach out, even when I sincerely want to, but I'm trying to be better at that. But one thing it has done is it has helped me to recognize pain better in other people because I've had my own pain and my own questions, and I tend to see it in others pretty easily. I've learned not to assume that everyone that attends my same church thinks and believes the way that I do. I've learned to ask more questions to see where people are with their relationship to God, Jesus Christ, and the church itself in order to know how best to discuss gospel topics with them. 
But most of all, it has helped me recognize that following Jesus on his path is not always as simple as we would like to believe. And that although the principles are there and the way is set before us, that real life is just complicated and messy and things come out of nowhere sometimes. And we need to be empathetic to those who are just going through hard stuff. Life is hard. We don't, we don't have to make it harder on each other. So last of all, um, I have come to respect people who are sincerely searching for truth, even if their journey has taken them somewhere that mine has not. Knowing my own internal struggles has, has really just made me aware that I can't be the only one <laughs> going mm-hmm. through these things. I, I had an incident in, well, an event that happened in um, a ward council a few weeks ago where you know, you, you kind of discuss the needs of the ward and the people who are struggling, the, the cancer, the physical ailments, all those things. And I remember the bishop asked, um, you know, do you know of anyone else that is struggling that, that's having a hard time? And in myself at that moment, I, I immediately responded, I am, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and I wish that but, but then I immediately thought, but they don't really want to know about that. They don't, you know, like that's not something they can really help with anyway. And as I sat there with that feeling and that thought, um, knowing that even I like wasn't willing to, to reach out for help, it, it really just hit me even more in depth how many people have to be having similar thoughts and similar struggles where you know, they think, well, they're not going to be able to help me anyway. They're not going to care. Um, I'm not going to be vulnerable and share this with anybody. And I don't really know exactly how to help with that at this point, but I think a good first step is recognizing it. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Well, I think, well, first of all, thank you for that very vulnerable and authentic answer. I agree that there are probably many people who are struggling, who are not feeling brave enough to come forward with their questions and with their, their doubts. And, um, and I think it goes back to all that we've been discussing that we as Latter-day Saints, like really, when we look at our doctrine, it is an incredibly inclusive doctrine like leaders of the church have have made mistakes in fact i'm going to read this elder cook said as leaders we are not under the illusion that in the past all relationships were perfect all conduct was christ-like or all decisions were just however our faith teaches that we are all children of our father in heaven and we worship him and his son jesus christ who is our savior and I appreciated that acknowledgement, yeah. but also just kind of bringing us back home. Like our faith teaches that we are all children of God (laughs) and that we worship Christ and our heavenly father and our heavenly mother. And that's the foundation. And so that leaves a lot of space, a lot of room to engage in the wrestle and to allow others that space to engage in the wrestle. Because I think going back to this idea of if we have enough love in us, that will replace the fear, which would cause us to lash out to those who may struggle, believing that God is actively working in their lives, just as he is in ours. 
and that he's playing the long game. Yes. And that we can trust the plan and the process. Their journey, each one of us is going to go through, through the things that we need to go through for our own growth and our own, you know, our own benefit. And that's one thing that's so beautiful that I found is how individualized this, this process really is this transformation process and learning to walk with Christ. He knows us so well, he knows what we need, why we need it. And and I think one of the biggest things that we really need to realize about these things is shame is not something that we need to have when we, when we do have these doubts and these questions. And I think that that's one tool that Satan will use to really isolate us Mm -hmm. from other people. And, and when we turn inward and we, and we don't dare to talk to anyone, like I said, I had some bad experiences where I shared my, my heart and my questions where I was kind of shot down. And, and, and like you said, it was out of fear, of course, like, Oh, you can't, you can't say that you can't ask that, you know, how dare you question that. But, um, when, when we can get over this shame and, and really try to reach out and, and when people can get over their fear and learn to listen, there's a lot of healing that can be found there when, when we are vulnerable with each other and share what we're really experiencing. Well, I so appreciate everything that you've shared. You've taught me so much, but I love your authenticity and your vulnerability and your willingness to just put your heart out (laughs) for us. Thanks for having me. Um, But we have to end with this final question, um, which we always end with, which is in all this, Lindsay, why are you still rowing and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and his restored church? For me, um, like I've said before, Jesus Christ is my anchor. It's him that I follow, or at least I do my best to follow. And it's him that I'm attached to. Wherever he asks me to go, I want to go. And I hope I will go. And I feel that he asks me to be here. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at churchofjesuschrist sr podcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that would help us spread the word about still rowing. Thanks again for listening.